Thank you for your welcome. It's a joy to be back again, actually. Uh, Sometimes since I've been here, but uh, it's a place I know well and enjoy being with. So thank you for your welcome. It's a blessing. I'm sorry I wasn't here at the beginning. I do apologize. I hate arriving late, but uh, my sat-nav and the directions I was given just made me drive round and round and round. I, I gave up and parked over the road. So anyway, I'm sorry about that. But anyway, God... Bless us in the word. I've been asked to speak on the baptism of the Spirit, which I'm very happy to do. And the books at the side, the latest one is God's Treasured Possession, which is the story of the people of God in the Old Testament who were taken out of slavery into inheritance. And Paul tells us in the New Testament, these things are written down for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So the lessons they learned on that journey are very, very relevant for us. So it's 30 chapters, just one a day if you want to go through a month with it. So that's there, plus others of mine and some of Wendy's. So take advantage of those if you will. Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read a few verses from verse 4, where we read, Gathering them together, Jesus, or he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times, or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he'd said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight." Father, thank you so much that we come to you in the name of that one who conquered death is alive forevermore in Jesus' name. And Father, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest upon us. Be our teacher. Let the truth stir our hearts, our faith, our expectation. Come, Holy Spirit, let what we do now be an experience of your favor, your kindness, your mercy to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here's what some have called the key to understanding the book of Acts. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. These are followers of Jesus, the disciples, the apostles, the team with him. As you read the Gospels, they're not terribly impressive. I mean, they keep getting it wrong, they blunder, they don't understand, they make mistakes. And at the very end, when they're, if you like, most of all needed, they either sleep or run away. Uh, Simon Peter famously said, I don't even know him. I mean, he's the leading apostle. These are not impressive men. And yet within a few Months, it would seem, they get this reputation. They're turning the world upside down. I mean, how do guys turn the world upside down who previously are a bit stupid and, and running away? And, and you think, well, how, how does that change come about? There was a dramatic change that took place in these guys. And the book of Acts is the most, one of the most exciting books in literature, what God did through these brothers. What happened? Well, Jesus said, you shall receive power, energy, life, vitality. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So wait. That was his instruction. Don't start until you've received this dynamic. Wait for it. Now, these are Jewish guys with a Bible, and so it's not exactly a foreign notion. It's not like, what on earth does he mean? We don't even, we can't, we've got no kind of way of thinking about that. No, no. The Old Testament tells several people who knew a clothing of power. 
One of my favorites would be Gideon. When you first meet Gideon, he's a scared rabbit. He's hiding in a cave. And God comes to him and speaks to him. He says, you mighty warrior. He says, me, I'm useless. I come from a useless family. Don't, why are you even speaking to me? And then it says the spirit clothes Gideon. And he was transformed. He became an extraordinarily powerful warrior. He led an army against incredible, overwhelming odds and won triumphantly. He was an empowered guy. You find that when, Saul, uh, when Samuel came to David, it says he poured oil on David. And from that time on, the spirit came upon David. He became a, a powerful king. We know the story of Elijah, who was empowered by God. And then at the end of his ministry... Uh, Elisha is brought alongside to serve him and it becomes clear Elisha is to replace him. And Elisha has the common sense to say this, if I'm going to do the job you did, I need the same power you had. And it's not like, well, I can handle that easily. No, no, I can't do that. I must have the power. And if you read 2 Kings chapters 1, 2, 3, you find he's sort of pursuing it. I must have this power. I'm pursuing Elijah. Please don't leave me. And then Elijah says to him, if you see me taken up, you'll know you've received. And they come to the Jordan, and Elijah takes his robe and smites the river, and it opens, and they go through supernaturally, and comes to the other side, and Elisha's looking on, if I see him go, if I see him go, and clinging, and Elijah goes up into heaven, extraordinary, like Jesus. And he said, if you see, if you see me go, you've received. And it doesn't appear to have any kind of personal manifestation or feeling or he just sees him go. He saw him go and his cloak falls to the ground. And he says, Elisha took his cloak, goes back to the river and like, well, here's the cloak. There's the promise. There's the river. And it says he hits the river and it comes apart. And people say, the spirit of Elijah is on Elisha. He's received this power and he does many miracles and he completes that ministry in a supernatural way. So the Spirit has come upon him. So these guys are empowered. They're taken out of the human limitations. They're empowered. You find at one time Moses is kind of exhausted. He's looking after two million people through a wilderness. He says, help, Lord, help. And God says, take 70 elders. So they find the elders from among the tribes and they gather the 70 elders. He said, now I'll take some of the spirit that's on you, Moses, and place it on the 70. You can read about that in the Old Testament. And so they assemble, they gather, and the spirit that's on Moses is placed upon the 70. And they all are filled with the spirit and start prophesying. Supernatural utterances come from them. You think, wow, they are empowered now to help. Moses. And at the end of Moses' ministry, when he's going, he, God says to him, now you lay hands on Joshua, that the Holy Spirit might come upon Joshua. So these Bible men, disciples, when Jesus said the Spirit will come upon you, yeah, they've got several stories of people empowered by the Holy Spirit coming on them. They could think of oh, the transformation of Gideon, Samson, these men empowered, the Spirit came on them. They were empowered to do things that human beings can't do alone. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So there's an example there. But in the Old Testament, it might be just one guy in a generation. An isolated king or prophet or judge. That tended to be the way. They were marked men. They were, they were special. They became leaders because of the anointing that was on them. It wasn't for everybody at all. It was just isolated individuals. But then there came a prophecy. Isaiah prophesied the Spirit would be poured out from on high. An outpouring. Well, more than, yes, more than what you've seen hitherto. And then Joel's very famous prophecy. In the last days... God says, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. This is amazing. Sons and daughters. And so we read in the book of Acts, Philip had four daughters who all prophesied. So prophecy and the manifestation of the spirit is no longer going to be for isolated individuals. 
But the whole people of God are going to be characterized by the presence of the Spirit. And that's what happens in the book of Acts. The Spirit's poured out and phenomenal things happen. The community is transformed. In the past, there were Old Testament laws, you must do this, you must, you must tithe, you must give this, you must give that. When the Spirit's poured out, it's just they were together and they shared and they gave. Wow, what's happening? What about the rule book? The rule book doesn't seem important anymore. There's an energy factor kicked in. They're transformed. God's amongst them. Not just that, oh look, God's on that guy. Look, God's on Samson, I wonder what he'll do. No, God's on all of us. God's on my four daughters. The Spirit of God's amongst us. They're transformed by it. The whole church comes alive in the Spirit. And Paul writes to them in Corinth, he says, when you come together, there'll be these various gifts that take place. Because, well, yes, of course we gather in the Spirit of God. We are the place where God dwells. Not just on the individual, but all of us. All of us. Empowered people, transformed people. A community of the Spirit. That's what the church is, a community of the Spirit. We live in what the Bible calls the dispensation of the Spirit. That was the dispensation of the letter, the law, written on stone. Now it's written in our hearts. The Spirit's on us. It's a new dimension altogether. That's what we're part of, beloved. That's what sort of church we want to be. And so for me, I must say, I was, I was converted age 16 from a non-Christian family. I didn't know there was a gospel. I had no idea. I'd never rejected it. I didn't know there was such a thing. My sister came from the same family, moved to London. Billy Graham came to London. She came home and she said, I've become a Christian. I said, well, what do you mean become a Christian? I've never heard anyone use that expression before. Oh, I've been born again. What on earth is that? So she started talking about Jesus and uh, the fact that he's alive. And this isn't some stranger at my door. This is my sister. She's manifestly changed. And I say, what, what, tell me. And then she begins to witness. And you know, the Holy Spirit opened my heart. And, and I thought, I believe this. There's no previous experience. I believe this. And I knelt and was born again in my home that night. Now, sadly, I was very given to a lifestyle far from Christian. And all my friends that I'd been with for some years... I told them, but they weren't interested. I witnessed to them, they didn't want to know. And my life for a while was two. I was at church every Sunday, but I was everywhere else the rest of the time. I was often getting drunk, I was at parties, I was at jazz clubs. I lived two different worlds. And then one day I'm in church, just one Sunday morning. It always helps me as a preacher. One Sunday morning, just sitting there. And the guy preached from Galatians, you did run well. Who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? And I, I just, one of those moments where I felt I'm the only person sitting here. About 700, quite a big Baptist church. And I just felt God said, I want your life. I want it now. And I won't speak to you about this again. And I thought, Lord, if you don't speak to me again... Because I'd often been convicted. I was living the wrong style. Often convicted. I knew I was a Christian. I knew I was a bad Christian. And I was horrified that if I, if I drift, where would I finish up? I knew this was the truth. And so I walked away and lost all my friends and all the rest of it. And I threw myself into church life, tried to learn what it is to be a Christian. And as I pressed on in this, I felt powerless. I felt powerless. I didn't need power to be a backslider. I could do that on my own. But now I'm trying to be a proper Christian. And I can't, I can't seem to do it. I, I keep fa failing, especially, especially outside of the four walls. Inside the church, I can do what everybody else is doing. It's outside. I can't witness. I keep, I keep failing. I can't present Jesus to people. And, and I'm reading Acts and I see... Peter says, I'm not with him. I, felt I often do that. I may not express it, but by my actions, it's like, I know I'm not with Christ. In church, yeah, hallelujah. Outside, uh, and then I see this, you shall be witnesses. You shall receive power. You'll be witnesses. And I see Peter transformed on the day of Pentecost. This scared guy is up there preaching, declaring Christ. Transformed guy. And I thought, 
is this for me as well? Is, that, is, that, is this relevant? This experience that these disciples had, is that relevant? Can I be changed? Can something happen to me? And you know, I'm beginning to read books, I'm beginning to get to know what Christianity is about. And I hear different people. And I, I, you know, some books are saying, no, 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 you've got everything. Once you're Christian, there, there is nothing more to reach for. You know, what about the Holy Spirit? Well, you gradually grow into the Holy Spirit. That, that's something. But essentially, don't go looking for something more. That's what I was taught. That's what some famous teachers would say, and still would, actually. And then there are others, like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, saying, no, go for more. There's more. I think, oh, gosh. I mean, John Stott, great hero of mine, saying that there isn't. And then Lloyd-Jones saying, yes, there is. I think, gosh. If, if they can't agree, there's little hope me working it out. I might as well give up. And I kind of did, because I honoured these two guys, and I thought, oh, it's hopeless for me, I'll never work it out. And, and then I had a bit of a crisis one day. I was along Brighton, Brighton Seafront, and uh, I, I had been to the morning meeting, and I used to go to the evening meeting as well. And uh, it's like a good Baptist, I did. And uh, I had a bit of time to kill in the afternoon. And so I'm walking along Brighton seafront, and uh, when the sun shines in Brighton on the summer, thousands of people start walking along the promenade. And there's a double promenade, up and down, these promenades, high and low. And, and, and I just walk along, and I've got time to kill before the evening meeting, and I'm strolling along, and there's I mean, thousands of people walking. But up ahead, I can see a crowd. I think, what's the crowd? What's that, I wonder? And as I get closer, I'm on the upper promenade, I look down, there's some very elderly ladies and they're kind of singing and they're kind of talking about Jesus and they're holding up banners like repent and stuff and uh, people are laughing at them, mocking them, throwing apple cores at them and cigarette packets and it's like, wow, this is terrible. And I thought, Lord, this is, why is this so terrible? And I felt God said to me, I called young men not frail elderly ladies. How about you? <laughs> I'm never going to do that. Forget it, forget it. I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to stand and preach. And, and that unusual fear of man kicked in, that hopelessness. And, and I felt undone somewhat. And then there's two guys in front of me. And one turns to the other and says, look at those old fools. Why don't they keep their religion in their church? What are they doing out here? And I felt, I felt like, well, I might not be called to preach, but they're there. Tell them. Tell them you believe it as well. But I couldn't. Again, again, I couldn't. And I thought, oh. And I went home and I got on my knees. I thought, Lord, I can't. Is there, is there any hope? Can, is there a possibility that I could be changed? I desperately want to be changed. I hate being so ineffective. And there's a guy I used to meet sometimes for lunch in London. I worked in London to commute up to town and uh, I knew him through another friend and I sometimes lunch with him and the great thing about this guy is my age and he, he if I was a bit late he would always be talking to someone about Jesus when I got there giving out tracts talking to people uh, and you know I, I, I noticed that about him he's just so outgoing and uh, I, I I said, what is it with you? He said, well, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, I must have that. I must have that. I must have that. He said, well, come to our church next week. Come to our church and we'll lay hands on you. I'll come back to that story later on. But is there room? Is there something more? Well, if we look at the, the scriptures, you'll find there's an answer to that question. Now, if you follow the life of the apostles... It's difficult to just look at them because they are following Jesus before the cross, before the resurrection, before the outpouring of the Spirit. And so they kind of live through all these events. So it's, it's hard to put your life alongside their life because they, they were believing in Jesus even before he died and, and so on. But what happened to those people who came to him after all those events? What happened in the, in the later stories? You see, the Gospels are all looking forward. The Gospels keep on saying, it will happen. The Spirit will come. Especially in John's Gospel, the Comforter's coming. I must go. He's coming. He's coming. 
Luke says, now wait until the Spirit comes. So the Gospels are all saying, this is a future event to these guys. The epistles are all taking it for granted that it has happened. So the epistles talk about you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You, the Spirit has come to you. You think, okay, so the epistles take it for granted the Spirit has come. Like, like the epistles take for granted you've been baptized. You won't find anywhere in the epistles the command to be baptized. You won't find it there. Baptism is referred to, but it's like that's already happened to you. Because you're Christians. You're Christians, of course you've been baptized in water. So no New Testament letter will say, you must be baptized in water. What's already happened? So the epistles are looking back. They're saying, all this has happened. The, the Gospels are looking forward and saying, you, the Spirit will come. How do we find what happened? Well, as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, you have to read the book of Acts and see what happened. Because only in the book of Acts will you find what actually took place. So we just look at a few passages. We won't um, go into great depth. Obviously, it's not a Bible study at depth. But we will look to see what the Bible says. So after the events, what happened to the people who got saved afterwards? Right? So in Acts chapter 8, for instance, you find that Philip, the evangelist, goes down to Samaria. Jesus said the gospel in Judea, Samaria, and so on. So here's his Philip has gone down to Samaria, he's preaching the gospel, and it says this when they verse twelve, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Alright, so here's uh, probably the only named evangelist in the New Testament. Timothy's told to do the work, but Tim, Philip's called an evangelist, he's preaching the gospel. Many are being saved. That's taken place. They, they didn't just stick their hand up. They got baptized. Okay, so these are Christians. They've become Christians. That's what it says in verse 12. They believed and they were being baptized. Then verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John from Jerusalem who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay, so these guys are converted through Philip's gospel preaching. They've been baptized. They're clearly Christians now. But... When the apostles came down to see what's happening, the Holy Spirit has not fallen upon them. And so they lay hands on them and the Spirit falls upon them. Okay? So there's a, a clear illustration of what happened to these guys. All right, we just turn over the page, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, you'll find the famous uh, conversion of the Apostle Paul, probably the most famous conversion story in the Bible. Uh, he's a, a hater of the gospel. He encounters Christ. And uh, he later says, the God who commanded light to shine in the darkness, shone into our hearts, giving us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That sounds like a personal testimony to me. He encountered Jesus. He saw Jesus and he's blinded by a whole experience. He falls on the ground and he's, he's kind of undone. His life is utterly transformed. As Christ, he thought, was an imposter, he's alive. Speaking to him, he's in his face, literally. He's in his face. But what we often fail to see is it says, and if we hold, read the whole thing, which we're not, you'll see it's three days later, Ananias, we don't know who he was. In the, in the Acts 8 story, Peter and John, we know who they were, apostles. Ananias is not an apostle, as far as we know. He's no one special. Well, that's to be noted, to be noted. He's just an obedient Christian. And he's sent to Paul. And he comes into the room and says, Brother Saul, so he's a Christian brother, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you are coming has sent me that you may regain your sight and, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right, so for Paul, three days after his wonderful conversion, Ananias lays hands on him and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. 
Three days later. So we know what happened to Paul now. Three days later, after his conversion, the Spirit fell upon him. There's no reference here to him speaking in tongues or anything. He does say later, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But the Spirit came upon him when Ananias laid hands on him. One more. Acts 19. Acts 19. We find here a very interesting story, I think. Acts 19, it says that Paul came to Ephesus and found some disciples. Now, when you read that, disciples, you think that means Christians. And I would certainly think that means Christians. But there were disciples of the Pharisees and there were disciples of John the Baptist. I would think Paul thought they're Christians from the conversation that we now read. He found some disciples, the Bible says. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. He said, into what then were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. Oh, John's baptism. So that's John the Baptist. All they've heard so far is the message of John the Baptist. It says in the Gospels, all Judea went out to hear him. He, he led, really, quite a remarkable revival, a repentance revival. What was John the Baptist's message? Get ready. Prepare the way of the Lord. Mountains brought down, valleys lifted up. Get ready. The Lord's coming. Make a way for him. That was his message. Get ready. God's coming. Get ready. The kingdom of God's going to break out. Get ready. That was his message. It wasn't the message we know as the gospel. It was get ready. That was his message. But Paul thought they were Christians, and they're not. They're followers of John the Baptist. That's what it says. All right, so verse 4, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who's coming after him. That is Jesus. Now, that's obviously a very abbreviated verse telling us he told them all about Jesus. When they heard this, verse 5, they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Right, so now, having heard the John the Baptist message, now they've heard the gospel message, and they get baptized as Christians. That must have happened to several people in that era, because loads of people were baptized by John. Even some of the early disciples were followers of John first. But now they've been baptized in the name of Jesus. And then it says in verse 6, when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So this is all happening in one day. Not like the Samaritans where there's presumably a gap of a few days. Not like Paul where there's a three-day gap. Here these guys are almost like dripping with baptismal water. And Paul lays hands on them and the Spirit came upon them. Nevertheless, it's kind of a two-stage thing. So here's three stories that we've looked at in the book of Acts. Let's just ask it a few questions, if you like. So the, the, the kind of position that some would say, no, you've got everything at conversion. There's nothing more to look for. It doesn't reach for something more because you, you've got it. Well, what about being full of the Spirit then? Well, that's something you will kind of gradually grow into. That's what people argue, that that's something that will gradually happen to you. And certainly, growth in Christ is a biblical concept. We grow as Christians, and that's the sort of thing they would say. You've essentially received it. But when Paul came to these people in Acts 19, I, I asked them, they said, they said, no. They'd not received it. They were not yet Christian. But when Paul led them to Christ, he then laid hands on them, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And I think if you'd said to them, so have you received... See, you see, if you ask these guys, well, have you been filled with the Spirit then? Many of them will say, well, that's something I'll grow into. You know, it's not necessarily... I'm not necessarily full, but I've got it, and, you know, gradually... You know, if you ask these guys in Acts 19, so have you received the Spirit now? Yes, we have. <laughs> Let's bring you in tongues and prophesying. They know it. They're not saying, well, that might happen. No, they know it. They're full of the Holy Spirit. It's manifest. It's what's called a seal, the seal of the Spirit. The whole point of a seal is you can see it. What's the point of a seal you can't see? This is marked. It's sealed. 
This is the language of the epistles. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's the whole point. You've been marked. It was like you've received the mark. It's like those animals belong to me. They've got my mark on them. Or this letter was sent from me. It's got my seal on it. It's marked. That's the whole point. It's seen. Have you ever seen the Spirit? No, that's what Paul said. I can't see it. What's... And once they got saved and he laid hands on them, whoa, yes, it's evident. It is evident. It is evident. So this coming upon of the Spirit was evident. Like it was in the Old Testament, guys are empowered. There's a change that takes place. There's a supernatural dimension. They're speaking in tongues and prophesying. Like on the day of Pentecost. There's this supernatural dimension that's taking place. They are ushered into life in the Spirit. That's what they're called into. That's what the New Testament's all about. The coming of the Spirit of God. That's how the church grows so phenomenally. The coming of the Spirit. And whenever there's been a, a period of the rediscovery of the Spirit of God, church growth has happened quite remarkably. There's a fresh energy in the church. So these people received through the laying on of hands. Now again, you see that in the Old Testament. Moses laid hands on Joshua. And here these guys lay hands on people, and then you see the, Peter and John laid hands on them. Ananias laid hands on Paul. Paul laid hands on these guys. So the laying on of hands is a perfectly biblical concept. Those who say you've received everything at conversion, there is no laying on of hands. But that's in the Bible. That's what happened in the Bible. They laid hands and the Spirit came upon people. Sometimes the Spirit didn't wait for hands. In the story of Cornelius' home, in Acts 10, which I did not read to you, the Spirit just fell. And they started speaking in tongues. These Gentiles got, gave Peter the shock of his life. The Spirit fell. You see, when I'm spelling out, hopefully, principles that we can see as helpful but when you said everything, the Spirit blows where he will. His wind, his fire, his water, very hard to contain. He'll break rules, it seems, just break out. So we're not going to restrict anything that he might want to do. But we see principles here that help our faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And it may be today you're hearing it like this for the first time. Faith comes by hearing. That's what the Bible says. And Galatians 3 said, you receive the Spirit through faith. You heard it. You received the Spirit through faith. You thought, oh yeah. That's for me then. That's for me then, because the promise is to me. That's what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. They said, what is all this? The promise is to you. The promise is to everyone that God has called. The promise is to you. Let's just take it one more step. Why did Jesus say wait? And no one else says wait. Why did, why did the apostles have to wait? Wait. Don't start yet. See, the Holy Spirit isn't a reward for doing well. It's an empower for, empowerment for people who can't do it. See, sometimes you think, I've prayed for a lot of people over the years, and sometimes you come to pray for them, and they say, well, perhaps I'm not worthy. Maybe I need to wait some more. No, it's not about you. Yeah, of course you're not worthy. What on earth made you think you're worthy? It's the gift. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not the reward of the Holy Spirit. It's not like a general saying to his army, go and fight. And if you do really well, next time you can all have guns. <laughs> it's not reward. It's necessary. Don't start, Jesus said. Don't start till you've got the power. He forbade them starting. But after the day of Pentecost, no one was told to wait. Did you notice that? When Peter and John came down to Samaria, they didn't say, oh, there's more. You need to wait somewhere. Go and wait. No, they just laid hands on them. Spirit came on them. When Ananias came to Paul, he didn't say to Paul, you're going to be an apostle. You better find an upper room somewhere. Go and wait. No, Ananias, nobody laid hands on Paul, the apostle, and the Spirit came upon him. 
We're waiting. Even Acts 19, and this is very important for us, Acts 19, these people have just been converted. Just converted. They're still wet with baptismal water. And Paul doesn't say, oh, there's more. He lays hands on them. The Holy Spirit fell on them. Why didn't they wait? Why didn't they wait? Because when we... See, the danger... The early Pentecostals tended to look only at the day of Pentecost. And some of them used to have what they called waiting meetings. They called them tarrying meetings, because the old King James said they tarried. They tarrying, which is waiting, waiting. But that never happens after the day of Pentecost. Never happens. Why? Well, let's go to John, John chapter 7. John chapter 7 says this, <clears throat> verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, now it's one of these feast days, like Pentecost, Passover, they had these feast days, three times a year in Jerusalem, and people would come up to the feast. It was great. The whole of Jewish religion was built around the temple and being in Jerusalem, the place, the city of God, coming up to the temple. The temple was central to the whole thing. And they come up to the temple on Passover and Pentecost and on this day. They're coming up. Do you remember? It says they went through the desert and God fed them, gave them water from the rock for 40 years. Provided the water they needed for 40 years. And so they celebrated God's kindness to them. And there came this great day of the feast when the high priest would come and ceremonially pour out water. As, a, as a, a sign of what God did, God provided for us. And it's on that day, on that day, the great day of the feast, Jesus pushes through the crowd and shouts, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. He that believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, which had not yet been given because he was not yet glorified. That's what it says in the verse. Come to me and drink. So if you had pushed through the crowd, if you're at the back, he said, oh, oh, oh. yes, please. What would the answer have been? Not yet. Well, aren't I, aren't I worthy? Nothing to do with you. Nothing, nothing to do with you. I haven't yet been glorified. The Spirit was not yet given because he was not yet glorified. Now on the day of Pentecost, again, one of those great feast days, when the Jewish people were gathered, and Pentecost in the Old Testament, it stood for the giving of the law and harvest festival. That's what Pentecost was about. God gave us the law, written on stone, unfortunately, but God gave us his holy law. God also gave us harvest. So day of Pentecost, they, they celebrated those things. Those, of course, now have been almost forgotten, overshadowed by what happened on this day of Pentecost. On this day of Pentecost, this Jesus, Peter preaches this, his great sermon. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit falls. There's 120. They're somewhere, probably in the upper room. The Spirit falls upon them. They will start speaking in different languages that they've never learned supernaturally speak a language they've never learned. And people in the crowd say, because they somehow, it doesn't tell us how, get from maybe the upper room into the street and thousands gather. Why? Because of these 120 that are making such a noise. And, and they say, hey, because they've come, Jewish people have come up from all the nations. Like today, Jewish people are scattered around, but they come up to Jerusalem on that day. And they say, hey, He's speaking my language, that guy. He's speaking the wonderful works of God. And so is he over there. He's speaking the wonderful works of God. There's Mary. They all spoke in tongues. There's Mary. She's speaking my language. They're all speaking different languages. The wonderful works of God. Now some people think that was to preach. No, it doesn't say they were preaching. It doesn't say they were cut to their heart. They said, wow, they're speaking the wonderful works of God. Then Peter stands in one language which they all understood probably Aramaic, these Jewish guys scattered around, they, they know that language. When Peter preaches, they're cut to the heart. But before that, they're all speaking, in the, it's all happening, they're all speaking in these languages. 
And Peter preaches and says, this Jesus, whom you crucified, God has raised up, of which we are witnesses. He now, at the right hand of God, is glorified, has poured out this, which you see and hear. What's happened? He's been glorified. It's, it's like he's enthroned. He sat down at the right hand of God. It's, it's his moment of triumph. Do you know that's the most frequently quoted verse from the Old Testament in the New Testament? Psalm 110. He sat down at the right hand of God. He's been enthroned. Jesus is enthroned. He's the king. He's the Lord. All authority in heaven and earth is given to him. The Hebrews can't keep, say, it says it again and again, he sat down, he sat down, he sat down. He's the king. He's the enthroned one. And to celebrate his enthronement, we've had a great party in the heavens. He's received the promised spirit and he's shed forth. He's shed forth. He's here. So the 120 receive. From then on, no one's ever told to wait. No one's told to wait. Peter and John come to Samaria. They lay hands on them. He's got to receive. Ananias goes to Paul. Receive. These guys are next 19. They've just been baptized. Receive. The promise is for you. This morning, you could receive. You could receive. The Bible says laying on hands. That can be done. You come, Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, what is it? It says here, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. And then it says, not yet, because I haven't yet been glorified. But now he is glorified, so the not yet phrase is gone. So if anyone's thirsty, I was desperately thirsty. I went to London to be prayed for. I was just thirsty. Come to me and drink. And you don't have to wait. Our church in Brighton, we were having meetings in the town hall at one time before we got our building and uh, had the privilege of uh, leading a, a student girl to the, the Lord at the end of the meeting. And uh, she was thrilled. And, and, and she said to me, quite interesting, she said, is there any more? Now, I've never been asked that before by someone led to Christ. Is there more? I said, I said why do you ask? She said, there's power in this meeting, which I was thrilled to hear her say. I said, yeah, come to my home. Gave her the address, come on next Saturday. So she came to my home the next Saturday, and she brought a girl with her, uh, Suraji, an Indian girl. She's her roommate at uni, university. And she spoke, she said, Celia became a Christian last week. She's so happy, she's so changed. I would like to become a Christian. So great, yeah, sure. So I had the joy of leading her to Christ. Then Celia says, don't forget what I'm here for. So okay, so we come to the Bible and look at the promises. So Celia says, right, can I be prayed for now? She's five days old, a Christian, five or six days. I said, of course, of course. You don't have to be, like Act 19, you don't have to be. I mean, for me, it was like a six-year gap from when I converted till I got filled with the Spirit. It doesn't have to be a long time. And the, 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 Siraji says, what about me? Of course, of course. So I, I, I went through the scriptures with them both, laid hands on them both. They both received the Spirit, both started singing in tongues, went on their way happy. One's been saved five or six days, the other's been saved 20 minutes. The promise is to you. The promise is to everyone that the Lord our God shall call. So if anyone's thirsty, in the moment, as Tim said at the beginning, we, 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 we're looking at this theme today, and if you'd like to receive, you're welcome to come and be prayed for. Like these guys. Just come and receive. Come and receive. Come and take. Just come and take. The Spirit comes upon us. It says they spoke in tongues to say a word about speaking in tongues. It's a strange phenomenon. You speak a language you've never learned. Paul says in Corinthians, when you speak in tongues, your spirit is praying and your mind is unfruitful. That's the language of the Bible. Um, in other words, you don't 
understand what you're saying. On the day of Pentecost, these guys suddenly spoke a language they'd never learned. They didn't know what the language was. I was once praying in Spain. I was praying in tongues in a prayer meeting. And someone said to me, you're speaking an ancient Basque language. I thought, wow, fascinating. You hear that from time to time. But my spirit is praying. My mind is unfruitful. But it says this, if you speak in tongues, you edify yourself. You are somehow strengthening your spirit. You're edifying, building yourself up. You're speaking a language you don't know, but you're doing it. You're doing it. Paul says in the meeting, you know, should be maybe two or three at the most. The spirit is subject to the prophet. We can do it. When we've been filled with the spirit, we can do it. It's not something passively, no, you can do it. Paul says, I will pray with my mind. I will pray with my spirit. I will do one or the other. Both are worthwhile. I find when I'm praying with my mind, I can attach my mind to certain Bible promises that stimulates my faith. Sometimes I'm praying in the spirit with with the tongues. I feel this energy kicking in. Praying with the energy that he inspires within me. So I, I, I pray in tongues virtually every day. You know, Jackie Pullinger, she, she's seen all these people delivered from drugs in Hong Kong, if you know that story, Chasing the Dragon, amazing story. Hundreds set free. One of my sons went out to Hong Kong for a year and they prayed over drug addicts in tongues and they came off drugs without cold turkey. Supernatural, supernatural. But we do it. But how do you do it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I do it every day. I don't know how I do it. And when you come and be prayed for, I can't tell you how to do it. Except you do it. They spoke in tongues. They just began speaking. They began speaking. They began speaking. I think it's a little bit like in the Old Testament, the woman ran out of oil. You remember the story with Elisha? She ran out of oil. And, and she comes to Elisha. She says, Elisha says to her, collect as many vessels as you can. Remember that story? And take the oil you've got and fill the vessels. And she does. That's kind of crazy. It's like, I would think if I were her, what's the point of pouring that little bit of oil from this vessel into that vessel? Waste of time. No, she doesn't say that. She does what she's told. She didn't put it down and say, oil, come on oil. Jump oil, go. Oh, oil, go. Go oil. Oil? Come on oil. No, no, no. She took what she got and poured it. That's how tongues happens. You take what you've got and it says she poured it and, and when it went over the lip of the vessel, it kept coming. It, that was the miracle. It kept coming. That's what tongues is like. You just think, well, can I do this? I don't know how I can do this. And you start doing it. And the miracle is it keeps coming. Oh, wow, what am I doing? I'm just doing it. I'm just doing it. It it seemed to happen often. If you look at the Bible stories, it seemed to happen often. The laying on of hands seemed to happen often. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So for me, I went and... I think it's important to keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, this is Christ is speaking, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. It's like he said it to the woman at the well in John 4. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was speaking to you, you'd ask him. He'd give you living water. You'd have in you a well of water springing up. You wouldn't just get a drink, you'd get a well. See, some people think you go to church to drink the well. No, come, and you get the well. You get the well springing up. It's always with you. The Spirit comes to abide with us. Come ask, come and drink, come and take. So I went to my friend, I told you about my friend. He said, come to our church next week. I went to his church next week. And uh, he said, you're lucky. There's a big American guy here this week. 
he'll pray for you. So I go into this room, there's a dozen guys waiting to be prayed for. And in walks the big American guy. I think, wow, I'm lucky, the guy. And I, at that moment, I stopped obeying the Bible. Didn't realize it. But I thought, the American guy will do it for me. And so he came to me, the American guy, and lays his hands on my head and said some words. And guess what I felt? I felt hands on my head. <laughs> and then he went out the door. Uh, I said to my friends, well, what was that all about then? I've come to London to be prayed for, and nothing happened. And they said, what do you mean nothing happened? Praise God. I said, well, I thought he would stop thinking he would come to Jesus and drink. Right, so some of you might want to be prayed for later. You're coming to Jesus. Okay, you're not coming to the guy who lays your hands up. You're coming to Jesus. Laying all of hands is perfectly biblical, but coming to Jesus and drink. For me, this guy had gone out of the room. So I said, well, that's a waste of time, wasn't it? And they said, no, my friends who are the same age as me, about 22, they said, they just took me back to the Bible promises. And they said, we'll pray for you. Well, you're nobody. Yeah, of course they're nobody. They prayed for me. And they said, just praise them in new languages. And I did. And I stopped. I said, no, I'm just making that up. I said, well, everybody thinks that at first. And then they said, go on, carry on, carry on. So I carried on, I carried on. And then my friend's fiancé said, you're very clever making all this up. And we all laughed. And the tension went out of the room. And then I just carried on. And then they went into a meeting, church service. And I went to the back of this quite large building, away from everybody. And right through their service, I spoke in tongues with my hand over my face so as not to disturb anybody. I think probably for an hour and a half. I just felt this fullness, this joy, this freedom, this new day, this new day, this new day. And I went home to my, my Baptist church. It's so funny. We went, we'd go to Eastbourne for the youth weekend, tens, teens and twenties. And on Saturday afternoon it says, we go for a walk on the program. Saturday afternoon we go for a walk. It's pouring with rain. So the pastor says, let's, let's do an, an informal meeting. Okay, we'll do. What should we do? Well, we'll just sort of have testimony around the room. Okay, we'll have testimony. And uh, we call it inward and outward. Okay, so it was about 50 of us. We're sitting around, and some on the floor, settees, and around the room. And my pastor pointed at me. He said, something's happened to you lately, Terry. What's happened to you? I thought, oh, God, help. Because I wanted to share, but I didn't want to get in trouble. So I told them, I've been to the Pentecostals, they laid hands on me and I speak in tongues. <laughs> I didn't say it like that, but I had told them that. And then when I finished speaking, utter silence. I think, what's going to happen now? And my pastor says to me, he's a wonderful, godly man. He said, you must lay hands on all these young people. And I did, I laid hands on lots of them. And on the next few Sundays, we went down to Brighton, to what we call the fish market, the lower promenade. And some of the girls played guitar. I sang on the box and preached the gospel. And we, we did that Sunday afternoon after Sunday afternoon. Transformed. We came alive. God had done something in us. God had changed our experience. His spirit had come. Can we stand, please?